The text this morning is from Acts 11, 19-30. Please turn your Bibles with me. Again, that's Acts 11, 19-30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Holy Trinity Church. I'm Sully. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm so thankful to join with you today. As I record, I'm picturing you gathering around your TV, your computer, your phone to watch today's service. It's incredible that we can gather like this, yet it's going to be even more incredible when we can gather again in person. I want you to know that our elders and our staff are praying and preparing so that we might be able to gather again in person soon. As that day approaches, we will try to clearly communicate instructions on how you can help make that happen. It's going to require all of us. It's kind of a moment for all hands on deck. I can't tell you how excited I am for this next season of ministry together. This last year has been one full of loss and hardships. Yet I believe in moments of adversity comes clarity. In, in moments of sobriety, we see what's most important. And so my prayer is that as a church, as we emerge on the other side of this pandemic, that we would we would emerge more unified with a clarity around the priorities that we need to have as a church. A few moments ago, I said that this next season of ministry is going to require all hands on deck. And I don't simply mean that we, we're going to need a lot of volunteers to pull off in-person services again. What I mean is much larger than that. Here at Holy Trinity Church, our vision is to see the city of Chicago transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to see that, that's going to require all of us rowing in the same direction, pulling in the same direction. There's a, a great little book, a, a business leadership book that's called All Hands on Deck. And the subtitle is Eight Essential Lessons for Building a Culture of Ownership. And the very first lesson in this book says that if you want to build a culture of ownership, you need to start with a mission that's bigger than the business. Holy Trinity Church, the mission of our church is far greater than us alone. It is eternal and cosmic in scope. 
And yet what I want us to remember is that the magnitude of the scope of this mission isn't so great as to preclude any single one of us. It includes all of us. I want us to be reminded today that the gospel that is for everyone needs to go forward by everyone. Today's text is a call for all hands on deck. So as we begin, I want to ask the Lord for his help. So would you join with me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we acknowledge that we would not be here today if it was not for you revealing yourself to us. Your word is precious to us. It is of greater value than any other earthly possession we have. So Father, help us to treasure it today. It is like an oasis of truth and of rest for us, of promises. Lord, I pray today that as we look at your text and we marvel at it, would we also turn and look at the world around us through the lens of the text? Help us, Lord, to view the world through the truth of your scriptures. Father, I pray today that this small effort would go to serve your church and to glorify and magnify your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't already pulled out your Bible, I hope you'll do that. Uh, you can flip to our passage or scroll there. We just had it read a few moments ago, but we're going to be looking back at the text a number of times today. You may have noticed that we have switched up our sermon graphic that appears at the beginning and at the end of our uh, worship service. We have broken down the book of Acts into a few small sections. We started with a, a series that we called Authentic Christianity. And now we're in a part of Acts that we're calling The Mission Begins. And today's text tells us about how the gospel went to take root in the city of Antioch. Antioch was a Greco-Roman city. It was the largest of its area, and it was about 250 miles north of Jerusalem. That means it's a fair bit away from Judea and Samaria and Galilee where Jesus had his own ministry. The gospel is expanding as we move through the book of Acts. And today I want us to see how does the gospel reach this city? More specifically, who are the people that God uses to bring the gospel to Antioch? There's a lot that is different between Antioch and Chicago. But both were cities with densely populated uh, areas, high levels of transience, full of social chaos and urban challenges. In essence, Antioch and Chicago are both places full of broken people who are in need of the healing and restoring power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Might it be possible that God would use us in bringing the gospel to take root in our city? I believe our text today gives a resounding yes to that question. You see, when the church believes the gospel is for everyone and is proclaimed by everyone, there is a combustion of gospel growth. I'm going to break down our passage today into four sections, and each section is going to look at a different type of person that God uses in the expansion of the church. So begin with me looking at verses 19 and 20. Our passage begins this way. Now, those who were, in, who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. 
Have you ever accidentally dropped a glass cup or a light bulb and it shattered and scattered glass all over your apartment? That's the image I have in my mind as we begin this text. The people of God have been shattered. They've been scattered to many of the corners of the world because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Luke, the author of Acts, saw the persecution, the stoning of Stephen as a really pivotal moment in the growth of the gospel. You may recall that we are told about the stoning or the persecution of Stephen in chapter 6, and it continues all the way into chapter 8. Luke shows us that the persecution of Stephen had the reverse effect that it that was intended. The persecution was meant to end the spread of Christianity. It was meant to cause fear and distrust. It was meant to be a brick wall, uh, a dead end. And yet it had the reverse effect. It actually served to expedite the growth of the gospel. Similar, similarly, the crucifixion of Christ, which was meant to end the life of Jesus and the the movement that of followers of Jesus, it actually had the reverse effect. It actually caused the growth of the gospel to increase in speed. You see, the Lord, he doesn't work in spite of persecution. He doesn't work in spite of the cross. He works through it. Luke tells us that as a result of the persecution that arose over Stephen, Christians are scattered And with them, they take the gospel. They are like seeds scattered across fertile ground. Luke says they were scattered as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Their focus was on announcing the good news to other Jews, others that they believed would would, might be most open to hearing the gospel. But Luke zooms in for us on the city of Antioch, where something incredible begins to happen. We're told that a a few of these people who were scattered because of the persecution began to preach the Lord Jesus to Hellenists, that is, Greek-speaking Gentiles. It's hard for me to express how major, how big of a shift this is. Up to this point, the gospel has been primarily being uh, shared with other Jews, and now the gospel is going forward to the Gentiles. Luke, the historian, actually helps us grasp how how big of a shift this is. Luke, the historian, knew he couldn't pack in every detail of the early church, and so he had to focus in on a few of the highlights, the major turning points. So he talks about Pentecost early in the book of Acts, and then he spoke about the, the stoning of Stephen, and now he's beginning to give a lot of attention to the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, Since chapter 10, Luke has been telling us about how Peter began to realize that the gospel message was for everybody. At the end of our passage, or end of our passage last week, there's an interesting uh, verse, and I want us to go look at it. I want us to see a connection, actually, between our text today and last week's text. In verse 18 uh, of chapter 11, Peter has just concluded telling uh, the church in Jerusalem how he has seen Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. And this is how, this is what they concluded. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Luke brilliantly then takes us directly to the city of Antioch 
and says that men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, began to speak to Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. That little word, also, appears both in verse 18 and in verse 20. That four-letter letter word that, that, that lets us know that the gospel is for everybody. What you see here that in verse 21, their efforts to bring the gospel to the Gentiles was a right effort. They, it was blessed. The Lord's hand was upon them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What we see in the, is the early church awakening to the truth that the gospel message is for everybody. What they realize in verse 18 is actualized in verse 20. That Jesus is Lord over all, both Jews and Gentiles. These men of Cyprus and Cyrene, they're anonymous in our story. We don't know their names, and yet their legacy of proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles has survived centuries. All we know about these few people is where they were from and what they had experienced. We are told that they were a part of those who had been scattered because of the persecution. A part of these men's legacy of evangelism is that they remind us that God uses those who have suffered greatly. In the hands of God, suffering is never wasted. Do you believe that? These men of Cyprus and Cyrene were refugees. They were displaced from their homes. And yet wherever they went, they took the gospel. They were well acquainted with suffering. These are the people who God chooses to usher in the message of the gospel. Might it be true that your suffering uniquely qualifies you to announce good news of hope and life to those around you? I was in the sixth grade when I began to really think about the gospel for the first time. I was in a Sunday school class with about four other distracted and fidgety middle school boys. And it was a Sunday school class led by a 71-year-old guy named Mr. Stout. Mr. Stout was patient. He was calm. He encouraged us. I don't recall anything that he said specifically that really caused me to start taking my faith seriously. But what I do remember was that Mr. Stout had recently lost his wife to cancer. His witness through his suffering was, was a profound witness to me. It was intriguing to the middle school me. It played an important role in me beginning to wrestle and think about the gospel. In the midst of our suffering, we don't always understand how God is going to use it for our good and the, and the glory of God. But we must walk by faith knowing that God's good purposes are never thwarted. Your suffering is not an obstacle to God using you as an instrument of his grace. Your suffering may be in the form of an illness. Your suffering may be in the form of an unmet longing for a child or for marriage. Your suffering may be in the form of working or serving in a way that goes unrecognized. Sometimes we think that if we could just be released from our suffering, we might serve the Lord better. If we could just be released from this, we might accomplish more. But what we need to be reminded of this morning is that our suffering might be the very thing that makes us effective evangelists and servants of the gospel. Holy Trinity Church, what I want us to hear this morning is that the gospel is for everyone and can be proclaimed by everyone, even those who have suffered greatly. 
Today, I want us to, to be looking at all the different ways that God uses different people to bring the gospel to the city of Antioch. And I pray and I believe that God will use us to do the same here in Chicago. Let's continue to move in our text to our second section. Here, uh, we begin to be introduced to someone else. Picking up in verse 22, this is what it says. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. The church in Antioch was experiencing great growth. We're told three times in our passage that, that there's a great number of people coming to faith or were being taught. The question I want us to, to focus on is, who is it that God uses to bring about this great growth? Well, here we're introduced to a, a good man named Barnabas. He was known for being an encourager. He's the type of guy you want on your team, the friend who's always around speaking into your life positively. Luke, the author, knew Barnabas firsthand, and he could not have given Barnabas a greater compliment in this passage. Luke says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And here in Antioch, we begin to see firsthand why he was known for these characteristics. I'm sure it was not easy for the, the church in Jerusalem to, to see Barnabas go, yet they knew that this was exactly the right person that the church in Antioch needed. As this young church in Antioch was trying to get their legs under them, they could use an encourager like Barnabas. We're told that the report of the growth of the gospel in Antioch got back to the church in Jerusalem. And so they determined, how can they help that church? Well, they decided to send one of their very own. And so they sent Barnabas. And as Barnabas arrived, he saw the grace of God working in the life of both the Jews and the Gentiles. And we're told that he was, he was glad. The word here means to rejoice. He was, he was happy. He celebrated the gospel growth that he saw in the city of Antioch. One of the best parts of my job before the, pandem the pandemic began was going and visiting some of our church partners around the world. There is nothing better for my own faith and my own soul than walking into a church in the slums of Kenya or a church in the, the foothills of, of the mountains in Santiago and seeing men and women and children worshiping God. To see people who do not look like me, who spoke different languages than I did, worshiping the same God is humbling and oh so good for my soul. This is the, the experience that Barnabas had as he went to Antioch. Finding Jews and Gentiles rejoicing in the grace of God made him joyful. I'm sure his joy was even multiplied or magnified when he not only got to see what was going on, but he was given the opportunity to speak into the life of this young church. The, the church in Antioch allowed him to, to speak. And so he got up and he, he used the opportunity to exhort this church. He, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He does not come in with a corrective or negative uh, word for them. No, he comes with a spirit of encouragement and with joy. The results we are told in verse 24 was that a great many people were added to the Lord. Uh, 
I think it's part of some of our roles in the church to be encouragers, to be like Barnabas and encourage others around us. And what I want us to notice here is that Barnabas was not, was not a native to Antioch. He wasn't an insider. He probably didn't look like those in Antioch or sound like those in Antioch. Most likely he stood out as an outsider. It's terrible, but the urban snob in me can often pinpoint on the street who are the tourists walking by. Barnabas would have stood out in a way like a, like a tourist in Antioch. His words of exhortation and encouragement, though, were exactly what the church in Antioch needed. A gospel for everyone can be proclaimed by everyone, even those who are outsiders. The history of the church is full of outsiders bringing the gospel to, to other cities. Right now, I believe Korean missionaries are leading the way in bringing the gospel to Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist majority parts of the world. Here at Holy Trinity Church, we have a long history of, of, of participating in missions. We have a, a holistic missions paradigm that includes working with indigenous church planters uh, through our network, our church planting network we started called Neapolis. But we also have a long history of sending Chicagoans to other cities uh, to proclaim the gospel, to do the work of evangelism. We do this because we believe the gospel is for everyone and can be proclaimed by everyone, even outsiders. Earlier today, I, I asked you if you believe that God could use your suffering to proclaim the gospel. I want to ask you now, uh, do you believe that God could use you in your context, in a culture where you're an outsider? I believe the Lord in his goodness is and will call some of us among us to, to go, to cross ethno-linguistic lines to evangelize other nations. If that's you, if you are considering or, or wanting help to discern this, I, I just invite you to reach out to any of the elders here at Holy Trinity. We would love to be in prayer with you on that topic. For all of us, we should be in prayer that the Lord would raise up some among us to go. But we all must understand that God has a plan for us right here in our own context. More and more, we are going to realize that in our culture, we are outsiders. In this post-Christian urban context, we need faith to believe that God will use us, even as outsiders, to proclaim the gospel. More and more, you are going to feel like an outsider in the school where you teach, in the hospital where you practice medicine, in the neighborhood where you live. I actually believe that as Christians become more and more on the margins, on the, on the outskirts of culture and power and influence, we're actually going to have more and more opportunities to be witnesses to the gospel. Your suffering isn't an obstacle for gospel proclama proclamation, and neither is your status as an outsider. As we move now into the third section of our text, we, I want to introduce you to a third character, a third person that God uses to bring the gospel to Antioch. Here, as we turn to verse 25, Barnabas goes to get some help. Look with me. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. For the third time, we are reminded of the growth of the gospel in Antioch. We are told that a great number of people were being taught. 
We also, again, for the third time are told uh, that another person has come to help with the growth of the gospel. This time, it's a man named Saul. Saul has already been introduced in the book of Acts. You may recall that he was the one who oversaw the persecution of Stephen, the persecution that was already mentioned in our text today. Saul, at the time of the stoning of Stephen, was not the one who was being persecuted, but the one who was starting the persecution. He lived a life of of being against, working against the gospel movement until he had a transformational experience and encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And having turned from being a murderer of Christ followers, he becomes a messenger of Christ. Barnabas probably had heard of Saul and his uh, reputation as being someone who persecuted the church. Yet he didn't meet him face to face until Saul had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and then had gone to Jerusalem. The disciples in Jerusalem didn't want to meet with Saul. They didn't really believe that he had truly changed. Yet Barnabas went and met with Saul. And having met him and gotten to know him, he took Saul and introduced him to the other disciples. Barnabas has been a bridge builder time and time again. And here now in our text, he goes and gets Saul and wants to introduce him to those in Antioch. He knew that Saul was the type of person that could help, the type of person that the church in Antioch needed in these early days. We know that their teaching, uh, we're told they spent a year teaching there, uh, began to take, take uh, effect. It really began to have an impact because others in the city began to call them Christians. Luke tells us that this is the first time that followers of Christ began to be called Christians. It was probably meant in a derogatory way, but here it's almost evidence that the work of the gospel was growing. It was evidence of the fruit of their teaching. Here is Saul, who caused such great persecution that he forced people to be scattered. And now he's in this city, far from where he first caused that persecution, helping to helping the movement of Christ's followers pick up speed. He tried to stop the gospel from going forward, and now he's here working to build up the church. Saul's sins in the hands of God were transformed and used for the good of the church and the glory of God. Can you believe that God can use our greatest failures for gospel proclamation, for his glorious purposes? This is a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible, that God uses our failures, our sins, uh, for the good of his purposes. Back in Genesis, at the very beginning, Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And when he had the opportunity to be, to be in front of his brothers later in his life, he told them that what you meant for harm, to hurt me, God used for good. In the Old Testament, some of the greatest voices we come across were terrible sinners. I mean, Moses and the King David were murderers, and yet God used them to lead his people. Or think about the prophet Jonah. I mean, Jonah went to his enemy, the city of Nineveh, and proclaimed their destruction. And yet God used his rebellious message, his rebellious heart, to actually bring the entire city of Nineveh to repentance. In the New Testament, Peter outright denies Jesus three times when he was being crucified. 
And yet it's Peter who stood up at Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel. Saul falls right in line with the greatest of sinners who God uses to build up the saints. What I want you to hear today is that your failures are no obstacle to God using you. Our enemy, Satan, he wants to sow seeds of doubt in our minds. He wants us to believe lies like, my suffering makes me too weak to be useful. Or the lie that my outsider status makes me too irrelevant to make an impact. Or, or my past sins disqualify me from the privilege of the work of evangelism. Oh, that God would rid these lies from our church. These are lies from the pit of hell. That means that none of these can be excuses that we stand on to, to not ready ourselves to be used by the Lord. A gospel for everyone can be proclaimed by everyone, even those who have rebelled and sinned against God. To believe that God can't use you for his good purposes is to picture God as small and weak. That is not the God of the book of Acts. God continually shows himself, reveals himself in the book of Acts as present and powerful. His mission is unstoppable and he will determine, he will choose who he wills to bring about his good purposes. I want you to know that this includes you, a sufferer, an outsider, a sinner. Whoever you are, God has a role for you to play in his great mission. One final point I want to make today. One final point our passage makes. A gospel for everyone can be proclaimed by everyone, even those who are new to the faith. Pick your Bibles up with me and look at verse 27. And in these final few verses, we turn our attention from those who came to Antioch to those within Antioch who picked up the mantle of gospel work. This is verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came to Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas. And okay, first, a geography lesson. Uh, we're told that some prophets arrived in Antioch from Jerusalem. And anytime someone came from Jerusalem, we are told that they come down from Jerusalem. It just goes to show just how important Jerusalem was at the time. Antioch, though, was north of, of Jerusalem. These prophets came down to Antioch. We're told in scripture that prophets were messengers for God. They spoke God's word to God's people. And sometimes their messages related to future events. Agabus, in our, uh, prophet in our text today, had the unfortunate responsibility, not just to announce to this church this famine that was about to come, but later in the book of Acts, He's the prophet who, who binds himself and uh, tells the people that Paul is about to be arrested. I think one of the most admirable qualities of the church in Antioch was their receptivity, not just to the gospel, but to gospel messengers. And here they receive this word and they respond by mobilizing everybody. They begin to collect an offering and they want to send it to those who are in need, their brothers and sisters in Christ. They sent it by way of Barnabas and Saul. It becomes evidence of this new faith that has taken root in their life. 
new believers or new followers of Jesus are some of the greatest witnesses to the gospel. As a new believer, you may not be able to articulate every nuanced doctrine of the church. You may not have years of experience of following Jesus, but this has never stopped new believers from being effective evangelists and gospel workers. A few years ago, I I was working for a college ministry over at DePaul University, and some of our busiest time was the first few weeks of the fall semester. I would find myself sitting across the table from countless number of freshmen, and these different these, these provided opportunities to get to know them and, and ultimately to share the gospel with them. These were some of the most fruitful uh, times of evangelism. And some of these freshmen would just catch a fire for the Lord. And they would go about evangelizing others in their dorm. They would be incredible witnesses for the Lord. May God give us, each of us, the same fire and drive as new believers. If you are a new believer today, I want you to know that you do not need to be able to articulate every doctrine of the church to be an effective witness for the Lord. If you need a place to begin, start with your story. Tell people about what the Lord has done in your life. Tell them about how the Lord is working in your life now and how your faith has impacted the way you've addressed this pandemic. Our stories are vital and important parts of how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, we should all be growing in our knowledge and maturity in the Lord, but let's not wait to be mature or to understand everything before we begin to share the good news with others. When the church believes that a gospel for everyone can be proclaimed by everyone, the result is a combustion of gospel growth. Evidence of this that I present to you today is the legacy of the church in Antioch. As the gospel arrived in Antioch, incredible things began to take place. An incredible church began. Antioch was a church that was a pioneer in being a multi-ethnic church. When Barnabas arrived, we were told that he could see signs of the grace of God at work in them. When Saul arrived, we saw their teachability. When Agabus, the, the prophet, arrived, we saw that they were sensitive to the Spirit's leading. What an amazing church. So the question I want to finish with is how is it that this ragtag group of sufferers, outsiders, sinners, and newbies could be cause such great transformation? There's no other explanation but the fact that Jesus came for sufferers and outsiders and sinners, for the young and the meek and the humble. It was the hands of Christ that were outstretched on the cross and pierced for us. The work of our salvation was accomplished by the hands of God alone. And it's for this reason that we can say with joy and with urgency, all hands on deck. I believe that a gospel for everyone should be proclaimed by everyone. And when this happens, we will see such amazing growth in the gospel. We're going to sing a song in a few moments that will speak of the great things that will come to take place. All the poor and powerless and all the lost and lonely and all the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy. And all will sing out hallelujah and we will cry out hallelujah and all the hearts who are content and all who feel unworthy and all who hurt with nothing left will know that you are holy. 
These are the words that we are about to sing, that we are going to declare together. Might it be true of us that God would use each and every one of us in the work of bringing the gospel to take root in our city. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious and loving Father, thank you that Christ, Christ alone provides us salvation. Thank you that because of his accomplishing work, because of your mighty strength, we all can participate in the work of the church, in the work of proclaiming the gospel. Father, I pray today that we take great joy and gladness in the work of Christ alone. May it encourage us in the work that you've called us to. Amen. Amen.